All right, so how can we make sense of AI in healthcare and also the swath of new copyright lawsuits against AI technology companies like OpenAI, ChatGPT? That's why my guest this week is Sheena Franklin. She is an entrepreneur and speaker at the intersection of healthcare policy and technology. Sheena founded Kept Health, a Techstars company which provides a diagnostic clinical decision support system with a focus on dermatology. I am so excited for this conversation, but first, welcome to this week's episode of Make Sense, a video podcast that simplifies complex issues at the intersection of tech and people. There are so many of them. So whether you're totally hyped on artificial intelligence and you're ready for the robot takeover, or you want to crawl into a cave after deleting all of your social media accounts, I get you. I'm here with my guests to help make sense of what's going on so you can design yourself into the future. My name is Lindsay Tabus. I'm a product market fit strategist, innovation consultant, and venture fundraising advisor. If you're new here, subscribe on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Sheena, let's make sense of artificial intelligence in the doctor's office and other super important healthcare technology trends. How are you? I'm fine, Lindsay. How are you? Thanks for inviting me. <laughs> <laughs> so excited. I saw you post on LinkedIn. I mean, I see all your stuff and I wanted to talk about what you learned at Digital Health Startup Day hosted by the Consumer Technology Association. For those of you that are unfamiliar with Consumer Technology Association, they are behind the Consumer Electronics Show, which is usually at the beginning of January in Las Vegas every year. Is that right? Yep. Cool. Yeah. There were three big, big takeaways, and I'm hoping we can discuss them today, but we have to start with Make Sense signature kickoff segment. K crystal ball, okay. what does the future hold? I'm so ready. this is where I call out interesting predictions for this year, and the experts, my guests, they tell us their hot take. So I'm going to shoot you some headlines, and Sheena, I want you to say, yes, I want that to happen, or no, please no, and if you know more, we'd love for you to share. So okay. we can't talk healthcare without talking about the worker shortage. So to solve the healthcare worker shortage, hospitals are turning to technology. So hospitals, tech firms, and government agencies are gonna band together virtual care, remote monitoring, hospitals at home, and a need for a lot more training. What do you know? Yes, I believe that will happen. And here's why. Two key points, some of which you touched upon. The first is training, um, because we do have a shortage of doctors. And we'll be able to help that if we change or revamp the way doctors are educated and also how residency programs are run. So there are actually more doctors who graduate medical school who don't get matched into a residency program. I had no idea. Right. And then second, AI will help with the the shortage of care that's readily available, right? And it will be done through more of triage tools. So then you have individuals who are treated virtual, virtually, and then some will go directly to in-person clinic for care because they're more serious patients. Cool. I had no idea that there were more doctors that graduated than places in residency. Yeah. And so this is how I found out. Um, one from our chief medical officer and two, my cousin just graduated medical school. And so I found out so much about how doctors are selected and where they go and who gets a residency program and who doesn't. Yeah. Well, I know, you know, I have a, a cousin who's been in the field for a long time and he couldn't get into a, an, a school in the U.S. So he actually went to Italy for his medical training before yeah. coming back to the U.S. Yeah, so that's really interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. Wow. And with the diagnostics, is that something that Kept Health is helping with? That's exactly what we're doing, right? So we're building out our data set, training our algorithms for our AI so that we can then have a diagnostic tool that um, is being used on a telehealth platform. So if you're on your mobile app, 
but also if you're engaging uh, with your physician and their clinic, a hospital system, or maybe even for us, our future vision is to have like kept health in your Walgreens, CVS, or maybe in, even Sephora, right? So you're coming onto the platform and we're triaging your care. So anything that you would be considered like run of the mill or low severity, severity, excuse me, would be treated on um, the mobile app. But anything that needs or requires in-person care, you're then getting transferred if you will, transfer to an in-person clinic. So now the physician is able to free up their schedules or they're, you know, you don't have to wait three or six months. You're able to get in more frequently because we lifted the burden from the patient and the physician. Yeah. I don't know if this is like TMI for my own podcast, but I make the rules. So I'm going to go with it. When I was in college, I experienced psoriasis for the first time and it was just on, on my left calf. And mm-hmm. I remember being at the University of Virginia Hospital and them, it's a teaching hospital. So like eight, you know, res, uh, eight residents or eight medical students come in with the dermatologist and they can't decide if it's psoriasis or eczema. And so now I have this cute little scar because they took a biopsy to figure out what it was. And it seems like 18, 19 years later, I'm dating myself, like, that AI imaging should be able to help with that more, like faster, right? You think so? Yes, and that's exactly why we're we're doing Capt Health, right? It's about how are we better training these models, right? Um, And so there's so much open source data, which I think we're gonna get to, but when it comes to dermatology, because it is a visual science, you have to be really precise and really just really good at what you're doing, right? Um, And then also, if you want to add like skin tone into that, then that makes the problem even worse, right? So it's just compounded issue on compounded issue that we're trying to solve, that we will solve. Yeah, that's awesome. All right, so here's the next prediction. Speaking of remote monitoring and telehealth, healthcare will pull some invisibility tricks. So ambient health monitoring will go beyond standard remote patient monitoring to continuously collect data via devices that are more connected and less invasive than ever. Do you know anything? You can hear my voice that I don't know much here. (laughs) Yeah, so it's all about collecting data, right? Um, Mm -hmm. We always hear that data is powerful, but... um, Data right, is cool, right. <laughs> it, it definitely is, but it's um, because from the physician side or the digital health company side, right, that will enable us to keep making this uh, product better, right? Mm-hmm. But then you will run afoul of like data collection or mm-hmm. how you collect it, how you DFD identify the data. So I think you know it's it's needed and it's going to happen. Yeah, I think also, um, you know, a lot of people will say, like, you don't want to go into the hospital if you don't have to, because sometimes you can get more sick. And um, if we can keep people out of the hospital, it not only helps address our problems with labor shortages, but also keeps people, you know, from cohabitating with others that might yeah, are always going to the emergency room yeah. and overburdening the emergency room. Yeah. 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 I talked about this in another uh, Make Sense episode with Kat Hoffman, the founder of Q Spaces. We talked about the LGBTQ plus community um, having a lot of apprehension about whether they will get fair care from doctors. So often their first uh, interaction for a specific medical issue is at the emergency room. So um, given like the unfortunate onslaught of laws that's making it worse situation for that community, uh, having ambient health monitoring and remote patient monitoring can really help to get, you know, to escalate certain cases before they go to the emergency room. Cool. All right. Two more. Femtech turns to menopause. 
So more famous women are leading the menopause conversation, more startups are turning to underserved issues like menopause as women's health space continues to expand. Mm, so this is a little bit touchy. So I will say, yes, it will expand. Um, I'm not sure it will expand as quickly as I would like. And what I mean by that is femtech is more than menopause, right? Like femtech is more than just anything that has to do deal with my reproductive organs. And so I'm really looking for, you know, female founders uh, in the space, female investors really start, you know, um, encompassing the broader perspective um, of what we face as women, right? Whether that's dermatology, whether it's um, inclusive services, I believe you just said ambient, the startup you talked with before, like those are women's health issues too, not right. just if I give birth. Right, or exactly. Birth and or I if my hormones are messing with my exactly. energy levels, right? Yeah, I, I do want to share with the audience, unfortunately, that Femtech just is not, and if, if I want to narrow the definition from what Sheena gave you, specifically yeah, technology that is specific to women's health, health issues, hormones or not, babies or not, um, it's not getting at as much investment as we would like to see given that we make up half the population, right? You know, so we still a lot of work to do to convince the decision makers, the purse string holders that like these issues are big enough to make venture backable uh, businesses. So uh, the more we kind of keep to ourselves with feminine health issues, the actually the harder it is to change the minds of those people with the power to invest in female-led and female-focused technology companies. Uh, and, you know, probably what I know what I said also expands to just female-led companies, not necessarily female-focused companies. And it's a hard investment world out there. So <laughs> but let's help our entrepreneurs. All right, last one mm -hmm. at dermatology focused. No tox tweakments. So non-invasement treatments such as LED facials and skin rejuvenations will help consumers replicate the effects of cosmetic procedures without the cost, the pain, or the downtime. So yes, but I will also say like, there's a, there is a difference between skincare, dermatology, uh, medical dermatology, and cosmetic dermatology, right? I think okay. what we're going to see is it's going to be a mixture, right? Um, more proactively a mixture. We already do that anyway, right? So if we have acne or any psoriasis, eczema, whatever, right? Like we first go to our, our Walgreens and we, if that doesn't work, then we're going to the dermatologist. And then when they have something, they say, well, use this over-counter product or maybe you should do this type of Botox treatment because it's going to help with this, right? So I think it's going to be a mixture. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see what yeah. happens. Now, I had a founder, uh, Devanchi Garg-Serene, she's the founder of Motif Skincare. She expressed some concern that consumers uh, of no-tox tweakments may be disappointed in their results, given that this is kind of like a over-the-counter DIY version of what people in the past or people with more money have been able to do with, with doctors and spas and estheticians. So do you have any concerns about the consumer being misled about what is possible for, yeah. Yeah, so I guess, you know, with those, I would just lump that into category of over, over the counter, right? So like, there's going to be some level of understanding where we're using this product. It's not going to be as good as when we're at the doctor. Right. So mm -hmm. I think it, it will be, it should, and it will be accepted as more of a, an aid, not necessarily a solution. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think the marketing from these companies they will be smart enough to cover themselves so they don't want their customers coming back to them or on TikTok, Instagram and saying this this product doesn't work, right? Like they're going right. to say, you know, 
this is for at home results, you know, it's not going to be the same as something you would yeah. um, receive from a professional. When I think about this one, I think about the difference between an Invisalign for teeth straightening and Smile Direct. Uh, Smile Direct, you know, you really are not seeing a dentist as your teeth move. They just send you these retainers. And it, if you listen to the community of past users, including myself, you really should only do it for small small little changes in in the the direction of your teeth not for you know massive uh, rework uh, but there are plenty of people that have massive rework that don't want to spend the money and they go with smile direct and they end up having more problems than yeah. they started so I, I think about uh, which kinds of treatments should not go to the self serve uh, like yeah. Botox, right? If you put it in the wrong place, you can have droopy eyebrows, right? So maybe you shouldn't be doing it yourself. This is true, although people still do. <laughs> but I think it just opens up a, um, it just opens up more opportunity. Well, selfishly, I will say it opens up more opportunity for kept, kept because that's what we do, right? Right. Not only can you chat with a derm uh, dermatologist for the virtual care, but you can chat with an esthetician, right? Before mm -hmm. your appointment, or if you discover one of these products, you can come on a platform and say, hey, will this work not just for the broader community, but is this going to work for me? And if yeah. so, who do you suggest that I go to? And then from there, we we refer you to someone and then we you know, give you a plan to help manage your care before and after. So if I go with the uh, analogy with Smile Direct, Kept Health kind of becomes my dentist consultant, right? Basically, So yeah. Smile Direct's not giving me the service and I don't want to go to a, a, a dentist to get Invisalign. So Kept Health kind of fills in that knowledge gap. The knowledge gap. And then we yeah. direct you to where you need to go. Well, I love that. I mean, anyone listening to it makes sense. If you are contemplating any of these DIY non-invasement treatments, Kept Health is there to help you on your journey and selecting the best ones for you, right? Absolutely. Nice. All right, Gina, let's get into our second segment, Deep okay. Dive. In this segment, we get into the details about a specific technology's implications for everyday people. Uh, we're going to talk about artificial intelligence and healthcare. So at the top of the show, I mentioned that you were invited to participate in the first digital health startup day hosted by the Consumer Technology Association. So tell us first about who was there and what was the purpose of this event? Yes. Yeah, so. The purpose of the event was um, to support CTA's new initiative in the digital health space. So they already work with a lot of technology companies who play in the digital health space and then some who are just firmly in the digital health space. But they're the larger big boys, if you will, that we all know. Mm -hmm. um, and this was more about looking at innovation uh, for the future startup companies that will in their eyes, transform how we look at digital health and AI okay. and all those different types of things. So that was their effort to bring us together, to meet each other, and then also to, I guess, if you will, prepare policy points and then meet with different legislators and or their staff, primarily from um, the health committees in both chambers. So that's the Senate and the House. Okay. Any politicians we would recognize that people would recognize? Probably. Yes, there would. There are. There you were. can't share, though? Mm -hmm. there, there were. There were. Okay. Well, that's awesome. And congratulations for you. So um, when you talk big players, are you talking about big players like, like Google, because they have Fitbit and Apple with Apple Health? Or are you also talking about um, you know, I know Siemens has a lot of medical devices in the hospitals. So both of all of those. Including Microsoft as well. You have Amazon. Um, you have HERS, HEMS, um, mm -hmm. those types of companies as well. Okay. Mm -hmm. 
wow, I'm impressed. Hers and him's made it made it into the list there. I guess I'm not in that with <laughs> him's at least. I'm not I'm not following yeah. them as much so, as so you have to think of it as they're technology companies, but CTA is consumer. So any type of company that is mm. consumer facing. So mm -hmm. I guess you'll call like direct to consumer healthcare. Got like it. Those okay, are, so not the hospital equipment. Yeah, but actually belong to the, the organization. Mm -hmm. Got it. Okay. All right. All right. So let's go through the three main points that you shared on LinkedIn. And I'll make sure that that LinkedIn post is linked in the show notes. So one, AI may be on its way to our doctor's offices, but it's not ready to see patients without a physician's guidance. And it will not replace physicians, but will just change how they practice. So can you tell me more? So everyone loves to talk about AI, like the power of AI. It, it truly is a powerful tool, but there's layers to it. Like one, there's an aspect of data collection, right? And data management, and then how you use that to train your, your algorithms. And mm -hmm. the second part is I truly believe AI and other industries can operate on its own. So if we're talking like marketing, you know, advertising, absolutely product recommendation without a doubt. But when it's healthcare, there's so many different moving pieces to it. And because if you have the same disease as a, say your cousin or your best friend, it can still present uh, very differently in you. So you're going to need a little bit more personalized attention and AI just, just can't do that. It's right. Yeah. It's not ready. And then when you add in health equity to that, it's really not ready, right? Because now we're going to data sources that are biased in and of themselves. So then when right. we start training our models on that bias, then you start to widen these gaps of health and equities. So that's why it's not it's not ready just to be unleashed. Um, and then in terms of it will be an aid. Um, meaning that you will have different settings where physicians are using AI. It will be in a hospital, it will be in an operating room, pre-op maybe, I could think yeah. of different places, um, the triage that I talked about before, right? So now these systems, in some cases, will be providing point of care recommendations, mm -hmm. you know, um, so the doctor doesn't have to, you know, hold on, wait two hours while I go call a colleague in Washington because they're a specialist in brain surgery, right? Mm -hmm. so like those are types of things that they'll be able to aid or maybe, maybe, I don't I want to say like five years from now, maybe 20, 30 years from now, you may be seeing some different robotics doing like low level, like say, for example, you talked about, you had a biopsy, maybe mm -hmm. a machine can do a biopsy and not leave that pretty little scar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, this is so fascinating because uh, there's a bunch of issues that you touched on. I mean, one, our medical body of medical research without artificial intelligence is inherently biased because of all of whom was selected to participate, whether it was favoring uh white people, which is yes, in general, like general, most studies favored white people. And then most studies also favored white men and excluded women because they didn't want our hormones to get in the way of their outcomes, which is funny because we have hormones and we have to account for those in our treatment. So um, talked about it on Make Sense before about, you know, garbage in, garbage out, like the data you put into a database, you put into an algorithm, you train your AI on. If it's garbage and biased already, then your algorithm is going to be garbage and biased in what it produces. So, uh, yes, we have a long way to go in collecting more fair and equitable data to train these algorithms on. So, um yeah, it can't, it just, it, it, it would be unfathomable to unleash AI without the, that, those, those equitable data sets. Um, I think about also in a previous Make Sense, I spoke with a pediatrician, Jincy Jacob, mm -hmm. and she works in the emergency room. 
And she just kept pointing to, she's also an angel investor. She just kept pointing to uh, like everything that gets deployed in a hospital has to be covered by insurance. So there's like regulation and there's insurance. And if you can't get past those two, Mm -hmm. then the technology is not going to make it into the hospital, let alone the bureaucracy of going through hospital administration. So we're just going to see the application of AI go a lot slower because of those barriers. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, There was one more thing I wanted to hit on, but I I am forgetting it right now. The one, one or two places that I thought AI could help with in for doctors sooner rather than later is like one patient notes, like recording patient notes. Doctors spend so much time updating electronic medical records uh, just for the sake of billing and for covering their butts and also making sure the notes are there for the next time. AI could help like prompt to fill those patient notes out faster. I think that would be incredibly helpful. I also heard about doctors using chat GPD to help them make their emails and instructions more empathetic, which I also thought was a nice, nice potential application for doctors that are self-aware enough to know that they, they're not coming across as very kind. Uh, so. That's interesting because, <laughs> I mean, that's like, that opens up another debate, right? Like that opens the debate of should we be delivering bad news by email mm-hmm. <laughs> right yeah. like yeah and should we be trying to train our doctors to be more human as part of their training and not leave it to a robot to um exactly to compensate yeah. right yeah yeah interesting i think one thing i want to also hit on with that point is that use your brain right? Uh, With any AI tools, you still want to use your brain. And so really, if we jump three or four years ahead in certain or even another year ahead, like you pointed out, giving suggestions of what the course of treatment could be, like we still want the doctors to be a layer there to use their brains and their knowledge because they need to personalize it. And the AI is not uh, mature enough, which now I remember my po- my point. Yeah. I, yeah, go. So it's also a thing about there's still, is still the power of the human element, right? And so there's just something that we have innately as humans. So even an AI may suggest something or want to go down a particular course. Right. But the doctor, say there's a doctor who has 30 years of experience and who has seen this over and over and over. Like there may be something that clicks in them that's going to say, okay, we're going to run this, these two tests in addition to the the standard test. This is saying because this Mm -hmm. is standard protocol that everyone else has done. But maybe I'm in West Virginia and there's something just really particular that I know about this patient population that's not going to be covered. Right. So I think. Like you said, like you're using your brain and we still have to capture that. I just don't think there's ever going to be a way that AI is going to capture our innate human ability. Not, not unless we convince doctors to start sitting down to train algorithms, but that's not going to happen. They have better things to do. You know, <laughs> the, thing, the thing I remember now is that someone explained to me that where AI is right now is that it's like a child. It's certainly capable of doing certain things. Like you said, advertising, marketing. I still think people want to use their brains when they're looking at marketing copy and product descriptions that they're creating. But, uh, you know, what a child can do is very different than what a doctor can do. And the child has not gone to medical school just yet. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Even cool. even still, even if we are an adult, I still haven't gotten to medical school, right? So like, 
there's going to be a lot of things I don't know. I mean, I could do my old home remedies, but, you know, from my great grandmother and my grandmother, but I don't know if those are actually going, you know, mm-hmm. going to work. So they, they may not work. <laughs> right. All right. So the second point from that uh, digital health startup day was kind of unsure how GPT chat will true truly work in healthcare given we don't know where this information is coming from. There isn't a sense of quality control and some medical resources, as we just mentioned, are biased and left unchecked will deepen the health equity gap when used. So is there anything we haven't covered there there yet in the uncertainty around, um, you know, ChatGPT or? Yeah, the only thing I will add to that is, is that comment was taken from a comment from a representative from the FDA. And so they're really looking at, you know, of course, AI, but also GPT chat, as well as some of the points you said before about getting the regulatory sign off to even have these tools. And so one of their concerns, which I think we're going to get to in one of the trends topics is that we don't know where this data is coming from. We have no clue, right? Um, and not just in terms of it being, you know, uh, biased, but did you get it legally? Like, where did, where did, where did this come from? Can you uh, provide us with, you know, the references, things of that nature? And even still, you know, FDA is still going to want to heavily regulate how it was actually applied. Yeah. So the verdict yeah. is still out. Yeah. It made me think that. I would love to have a, a chat interface with um, an algorithm, an AI that has only read academic papers. And I'd love to see <laughs> what that AI gives me as responses as it uh, compared to, you know, the responses that ChatGPT, which has been trained on. We don't really know, but everything available, (laughs) you know, and how those answers would uh, differ. Yeah, but I definitely think the end result of a GPT chat is awesome. It's just about Mm -hmm. where do we get all the information from? Yeah, yeah. So, okay, third one, uh, a little away from the the AI piece, uh, but it's a topic I love talking about as well, is focusing on interoperability and then also health equity, access, privacy, data, decentralized clinical trials, and real world evidence. That's a lie in there. Interoperability yeah. is like one thing. I mean, there's like two or three main electronic medical record companies, and they are dragging their feet on doing any kind of data interoperability or standards. Um, that's their competitive advantage or their barrier to entry for any competitors health equity, you know, decentralized clinical trials, real world evidence, that's, mm-hmm. a, tell me more. <laughs> you yeah, know more than all, I do. And it's all, I would say it's all connected at, at some okay, point. Okay, tell me why. Tell me how, yeah. Because it's so interesting. So you talk about, you know, the big, the big players in the space who don't want to give up their um, competitive advantage, right? For their EMRs and their EHRs. But what's interesting is, is that you're going to have a lot of digital health companies who are setting up their own systems, right? Even if they're white labeling, so then they're going to start contacting and connecting with each other. And then that's what's really going to happen is you're going to have patients who are going to really drive this because we're we're at the point where we're tired of saying, you know, why do I have to keep my medical files in my trunk? And then every time bring them into every doctor that I go to, you all should just be able to communicate together. Right. But then when we talk about patient notes, then that's where you can get biases as well, depending on how a particular doctor wants to talk about a patient group, right? So that's, and then that's what we use to train AI models, right? So then now we have the health equity gaps. um, And then you talk about data sharing um, and data privacy, like how much, you know, um, does a digital company, a technology company want to share with their patients, right? You know, if you read the privacy statement, they'll say blanket statements like we will use de-identified data, you know, 
as best as we deem appropriate, right? Mm -hmm. To build out our platform. So I was like, okay, I get it, right? But then it's like the third party aspect. Who are you sharing this with? How are they using it? But on the flip side is if I am sharing it with a pharmaceutical company who wants to have a more open clinical trial, but they have problems with recruitment and I have a patient population that trusts me, that's like, oh yeah, like we'll do this, right? So then again, it's all like a big circle. Mm -hmm. It's just one big happy family. (laughs) All need to figure out how to make them happy. We're all in therapy, right? It's like a normal family. It's a normal family. You got issues. And that don't talk to each other. Exactly. So it's like different pieces of the puzzle. Yeah, you know, um, I appreciate you bringing up the patient notes and the biases because I I mentioned that other guest I had, uh, Kat Hoffman, who shared that she had gone in to a hospital to and actually a hospital that had funded her startup with like the first ten thousand dollars in investment she had gone in for neck pain and a year later she had neck pain again and she wanted to look at the patient notes to figure out what the the advice was and whether she should go back to see that same doctor and she uh she would be fine if I said this. She presents as a, like, a lesbian. She's got short hair. She likes button down shirts, khakis, whatever. And she looked at the notes and the doctor had wrote in all cap letters, transvestitism, which one, neither of us knew the word. She had to look it up. Right. Okay. Um, it actually means like someone that is turned on by dressing in the opposite sex. And it has absolutely nothing to do with her neck pain and it was nothing that was brought up at all in her patient notes. Yeah. So this is just a, to accentuate to the audience that um, these notes are biased, right? And sometimes they have nothing to do with the condition. The next thing at you all. know, another neck pain doctor could be searching for some issue and the AI bot is recommending, you know, something to do with you know, the gender identity or sexual orientation. And so if you have too much of those biases, you're going to get really crap advice from from the machines that we're training, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Are you talking about on the, you know, decentralized clinical trials and health equity? Are you talking about, you know, there's a lot of startups uh, that are focused on specific issues or specific categories. And so, for instance, um, there might be a dermatology trial and they're having a hard time finding uh, Mm -hmm. women of color. So they might engage with you. And then Mm -hmm. um, we know you're going to do an upstanding HIPAA compliant job because you are an upstanding entrepreneur and founder. But there might be other tech startups that excel in some niche and, and maybe they're not. Uh, doing what they need to do to share information about patients so they can do the recruiting. Is that is that what you're talking about? Yeah. So yes and no. So um, you actually hit on a truth point. So we started to have a lot of like pharmaceutical companies, wellness companies, those that do, you know, well, your typical wellness products that you might find like or uh, supplements, some types of hair or skin or whether types of supplements. We even had consumer brands reaching out to us because they know that they need to be better with their trial participant uh, populations. And so they reach out to us. How can how can you help us? Right. And so we try to figure out a way to help them. Um, so it's less a more. How can I, how do I want to say this? I want to call it anybody like not unethical but i think the best way to proceed is to say we can help you with recruitment for your trial we're not going to sell the contact information or the data that we've already have for our patients to help you just know that we know that if you come to us to help you we can help you right we can talk about um who you are as a company why you're doing this why our community should consider signing up for your trial and then if they want to they can if they don't 
they don't, right? Like that's the way to do it versus just saying, oh, like we have all this data, which is great. Then we're just going to sell it off and make millions and millions of dollars. Right. Trillions of dollars, actually, because it's probably (laughs) worth a lot. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So really the best way to do it is if a company comes to you, medical or consumer, you know, the, the, if you're using a technology project product and you're sharing your data, they, that company should ask you if you want your data to be part of a trial or if you want to sign up for the trial and supply fresh data directly to that, whoever's running that trial. Exactly. And I think it also has to be already part of your your company's DNA to want to do that, right? Like, I don't think it's something that you can just turn on and not really have an easy or I would say uh, relatable um, connector, right? It can't be so far off where you're like, okay, so I was on a mommy, you know, a mommy and me app where we're doing, you know, prenatal care, postnatal care tracking. And then all of a sudden you're asking me for something that has to do with foot care. I'm going to be really like, "Mm, okay, that doesn't necessarily tie together. Right. And it should be like a part of this is what we do so that the community already knows and has already bought into your concept of, yes, you're caring for me, but you're also advocating for me as well. Yeah. And you're giving me opportunities to participate in the advancement of this area that I am already thoughtfully interested in. Right. Exactly. Cool. Awesome. All right. That sounds like a wonderful day. I, uh, is it still sitting with you now? You know, do you, were there takeaways that you, besides these points, like Mm -hmm. is, is there stuff that directly kind of impacted the way you, what you're doing with kept health or how you're thinking about the rest of 2023? Yeah. So one thing I didn't talk about, um, which probably a lot of folks in healthcare probably will push back on me on is the the way we pay for healthcare and insurance. Um, I really think a lot of the business models that we employ needs to needs to change, right? Like it just needs to change. Like, you know, everybody can't afford insurance or everybody doesn't have top of the line gold standard insurance. And a lot of the companies that are being created today are tailored towards, you know, individuals who are on the upper, you know, afford to private pay for things, private pay, or even you have some digital health apps or like, okay, you know, come to us and we'll help you track all, you know, this information. It's only $125 a month. And you're like, oh, that's great. Okay. But (laughs) guess what? I still have my insurance that I pay monthly. Then I have a deductible on top of that. And then I have anything that I have to pay for. And so it's like, we have these great ideas, but the business models don't necessarily allow us to really do what we say that we, that we're doing. Well, going through, you know, I, I sit on the board of a femtech startup as an advisor, and it's fairly straightforward to get your, to get, a a physical product covered by FSA, HSA, but the investment to go through FDA trials so that you can get insurance to cover your startup as a, uh, you know, an actual treatment is a whole nother story. Mm -hmm. And our, you know, venture capital, our private funders, there's not so many of them that are willing to fund startups to go through those trials. Uh, mm-hmm. And so I wonder, did it come up at all with like, a, you, you mentioned government, FDA, whereas at the event does it come up at all? It's like, how do we, tra- like, put, you know, how do, how do we get more of these, you know, maybe covered by insurance, subsidized or anything? So it, it, can serve more people or how do we Um, track this a little more so it's insurance is so complicated right it's so So, complicated it was one of my first full-time jobs yeah yeah yeah. and and for myself you know i spent like 20 years as a healthcare lobbyist right so it's until you change how health insurance companies 
run and how they love to make money, right? It's not, then it's not going to trickle down or be the responsibility for us to change that, right? So it's those companies and the FDA and then you have CMS, right? Which is still a a type of health insurance company, right? So yeah, like that's how it's going to have to change. You're going to have to like break that up somehow. Um, And then also from there, I think the next step is to not have insurance tied to your employer. So that's going to force different business models, different strategies. Um, But yeah, so I'm, Full disclosure, this is why we don't take insurance. Just to be right. It's a lot of colleges do not take insurance. So um yeah, it's extremely complicated. And then it's just to me, a, a lot of times insurance is how do I want to say it? Where it's a double edged sword, like you need it because these costs yeah. are like balloon so much. Like you get a bill, you're like $200,000 for an aspirin. Like how, yeah. how can I that, right? right. <laughs> that um, but then at the same time, it's like, um, it doesn't need to be that expensive or mm-hmm. I have to fight with you to, to cover it, right? Because you're saying, oh, I, you didn't fill out this form right or last six months you did this. So now you don't get that. It's just all that needs to change. And then it'll be a lot easier um, for entrepreneurs and investors to like wrap their heads around the space. 100%. I think I could do a whole make sense episode on the bureaucratic and technological and economic mess behind health insurance companies. Um, yeah, the data. Oh, it's just awful. So I will not go down that road. Um, <laughs> but that is why uh, universal healthcare and other kind of like let's nuke the system and start over ideas keep getting thrown out there um, is yeah. because of how big of like a rubber band knot ball uh, medical insurance, hospital systems, all of it, government, all of it is around that. All right. Let's go into our last segment, Sheena. I'm ready. Last segment is what you know. So this is where us relatively intelligent tech ecosystem insiders discuss a hot mess that's made national news. Uh, We don't claim to be experts, but we certainly probably know more than you do. So Sheena, the comedian Sarah Silverman has joined two other authors in a class action lawsuit against OpenAI, the company behind popular AI tools like ChatGPT and Dolly. What do you know? That I knew it was going to happen. I knew that was going to happen. Yeah. Right? Like, you just knew it was going to happen because they would never say anything about how it was built. Yeah, it was just like this is what this is what we're doing, and you know this is worked on it. This who funded it? So I would say be leery of big things that come out with a splash that promise the world, right? Because you know something just isn't right. Maybe I'm just you know. No, no. I mean, there's for sure. Um, from day one, I was like, can you give me some citations with what you just shared with me? <laughs> like, even if it's just like, you know, here are like five links that are most relevant to this body of text that you just gave me in ChatGPT, yeah. right? I was like, how do they know all that? Like, where are they getting this from? Are they yeah. just like taking it from Google and then... But, I, you know, once you sent me that link, I did some more research. And so apparently there are sites that have all these books and chapters. Some are like even on the, the dark web. And this is where you can go. And, you know, I'm not. So they say this is where people can go. They went to get this this information. So it's going to be yeah. interesting to see how that that plays out. Yeah. So for those of you um that don't know uh the specific suit with sarah silverman and the two authors is that you can go into chat gpt and ask uh ask the program to provide a summary of sarah silverman's book and it will provide a very healthy detailed summary of her book 
which could be part of fair use if copyright management information and citations were included or a link to where they can purchase the full product were included. Uh, you know, there's potential to rectify this, but essentially uh, ChatGPT and some other sources, including I believe Meta's, uh, they have a uh, large language model that they have built also, have been trained on shadow libraries, as Sheena has said. Uh, I think one of the names is uh, Bibliotech. Yeah. Did you catch up on that name? Yeah, mm -hmm. I think Meta, I have this note down. Meta used data sets from a company called Eleuther AI. I have no idea who they are. And they used this Bibliotech, which is, I think, under its own copyright lawsuits right like they have all this content of books that they should not have that the authors are not getting paid for and people are being able to access so essentially you know if you were a late 90s early 2000s kid and you used napster um mm -hmm. this is a similar lawsuit right like it's in the same category right uh same with torrents and BitTorrent, right and that BitTorrent got kind of taken down as well because um they are providing like providing content that is not theirs and the original creators are not getting paid for it yeah and i think a part of it also the lawsuit and just questions in general is that a lot of times um these programs will actually have large experts of like big sections from the book right so right. it's like okay if that's a little bit too much. It's not like two sentences. It's like page a page of the full text in there. So they're like, you, where are you getting this from? And then on another thing, E. Luther, that name just sounds a little like. Sorry. It doesn't sound like like Lex Luther. Like it sounds like an evil person. Name. I think that's where they got it from, Lex Luther. <laughs> I know that's where they got it. So Alleged, also, I say. So another company I have, again, it, Stable Diffusion, they're a generative AI company. So they, with prompts, will generate images for users. And Getty is suing them because they believe that Stable Diffusion was trained on Getty's data set, too. Is there, you know, you have to get data for kept health. Like, it what would these companies have to do to rectify the situation? And, and besides like coming up with some crazy points that help them win the lawsuit aside, like if they were to do everything above board, what would they, what would that look like? So to get the, the mass um, depth of content that they have images that we're talking about, the best thing would have been to go to Getty Images in the beginning and say, mm -hmm. hey, we took, let's say, a thousand of your images that we scraped from your sources. And this is what we were able to do with, with your images. How can we work together? Can we have a partnership? How do we have access to your images to build upon? But the thing is, is... No one wants to share, right? Because then you have to, you just have to share. Well, because Getty's response would either be like, pay us billions of dollars for, you know, pay us the $500 per image, or we will buy you for something very little. Um, <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe the two and a half million that your investors gave you to build this product in the first yeah, place. Yeah, and then they will also and say, we've been collecting these images for years. Hundreds years, of years. Right? They've spent so hundreds of millions of dollars acquiring exactly. these images. So you have to try to, you know, find a, find a balance. And you did mention like we collect data. So there are open source, um, uh, dermatology skin databases that okay. we use, but the majority of those are um, non-skin of color, right? So we're right. able to go there, wonderful, get that. So in terms of data collection over on the other side, like we have to go 
direct to the consumer or we have to form partnerships. Like we just formed a partnership that I'm looking forward to announcing with a major university, right? So like that's how we're able to like build out our images. It's really grassroots and starting, you know, mm-hmm. from scratch and getting people to believe in our mission, in our mission, not just how we provide them great care. Yeah. Yeah. So, so let's talk about data for a second because, you know, training these AI algorithms, like you need massive amounts of data and the differentiation between one chat tool and another, or, you know, one generative AI tool or another, um, differentiation is the data set that they have. So are we are we basically saying that these companies that are getting sued basically they stole their data so they have an unfair advantage on the marketplace? I would say I'm um, allegedly. Allegedly, you're right. You're right. Well, they haven't to, you know, break down shows. So we always have to say allegedly. Allegedly, you're right. So, you're right. Um <laughs> Oh man, that's like that's so interesting. Like, did they still like I wouldn't say they stole the data. I mean, you can make that argument, but they overlooked what it. Makes their, what? How can I want to say this? If all, if everyone's going to the same lake to get the same data, we're not that different. Mm-hmm. So, what's going to make us different is who gets it faster, and then who gets it out into the market the fastest and the prettiest, most pristine way, right? Mm-hmm. So that's the that's the issue, right? If everybody didn't have these tools and everybody had to figure out a way to get it themselves, then there would be more creative ways that we would develop that would make us different because we're really not. Mm -hmm. We all have the same information. We're all doing the same thing. It's just like we have to be faster and better than our competitors. Right. The differentiation almost in any business is, uh, you know, the, the ability to connect with your customers, solve a problem that they want solved and to like galvanize people and partners around you, right? And so the data data is gold and the data can be the differentiation, but let's make sure that we're getting it through fair use, which is a, which is a copyright term, terminology, right? Exactly. So exactly. There are, I was reading uh, back when I was in graduate school at UC Berkeley back in 2006, seven, you know, there's so many different, um libraries were coming online and there were lots of copyright conversations uh and you know and there were particularly for this one uh legal professor pam samuelson that i uh got to know while i was at uc berkeley you know talking about who has access to academic papers who owns them is it the publications like how um how can we um, share that data there are potentially some ways that these companies um, could get around it, could, could could win these cases um, if they can prove that they're fostering public interest by providing access or that, you know, um, one example I thought was interesting, and I think I may be geeked out on this copyright too much, you know, is that back in the day when Sony introduced Betamax, Universal, sued Sony because people were using Betamax to pirate, you know, movies and television. And the Supreme Court settled, uh, kind of favored Sony's side because the majority of the use of Betamax was for people to record their TV shows and movies and use those privately. Right. So you'd have to chat GPT would have to prove that like most of the usage is for non-infringing, infringing use. Right. For personal use. But then that wouldn't be very appealing for a company that wants to be a billion dollar company. Right. 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 And then at the end of the day, they'd still have to uh, comply with fair use, which requires citations. And I think the only claim I've heard is that when you train uh, AI on a huge data set, it's very hard to connect the output to specific citations. Is that true? 
So I don't know too much about, you know, citations, but I would say it is very hard to make um, the connections, right? And so I think it's because AI is supposed to be like a, um, a functionally brain. And I'm, from what I'm gathering with uh, GPT chat is that that's what it wants to be. It wants to be like another brain, not another resource library, right? Because if... Because then the question becomes, well, if you're giving me this information and you have like 20 references, then what makes you different than a library resource that I just went and downloaded a paper and right. I read all the resources, then I went back in. So I think, I don't know. It's interesting. So, Well, yeah. So we'll see if the uh, lawyers and legal professionals that are looking at all this are smart enough and technologically advanced them enough themselves to rule uh, whichever way in a very informed way, right? However they yeah. rule, whatever the outcomes are. Hopefully they're not informed, uh, but they are informed. Um, and we think about uh, the impact it has to future possibilities uh, and all companies that are, you know, engaging in this work, including kept health, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So let's make it make sense. We've had okay. a great conversation with Sheena Franklin, founder of Kept Health. I would say artificial intelligence is a child without a medical degree. So that child is not ready to serve you independently and autonomously in healthcare settings. Uh, but there are some ways that it is starting to help and we will see that continue to evolve in the coming years. Is that fair to say? That's spot on. Cool. So thank you for listening to Make Sense with me, your host, Lindsay Tabus, and guest, Sheena Franklin. We hope you enjoyed our take on healthcare AI and also these recent lawsuits. Sheena, where can people find you online? You can find us at kept.health. Um, that's our website, clean and simple. And then also on Instagram at kept.health. And is there an app that we can download? Um, not yet. It will okay. be out and ready in October. Cool. Awesome. Well, we'll look forward to that. So as always, uh, for those of you listening, you can check out all the links and resources in the show notes. Final note, if you want to continue to be the smartest person in the room, make sure you're getting notified when each episode hits on YouTube. Hit that subscribe for next week's episodes and follow wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you, Sheena, for joining me. Thank you for having me.